What's good, everyone? It's the podcast mercenary, the Mike for Hire, the Puerto Rican powerhouse Christian Joel Ramos. And I'm back at it again with a brand new review. A brand new review. A band. Okay, enough of that. So, yeah, so here I am, finally reaching the finale. I've finally done it. I'm reaching the finale of The Witcher, season one, episodes seven and eight. This will be a super cut because I am done with the show and i'm happy that i finished it being a completionist is a draining task but someone's got to do it so let's get started so i don't continue rambling some more because that's literally what i'll do for the next 10 minutes if i don't stop myself okay so episode seven what is my opinion review yada yada of it so we start off with gerald who returns to make sure that the child of surprise is safe because obviously we talked about the gifts of surprise in previous episodes where you owe someone a solid for doing something, uh, you know, saving their life. They will grant you a reward that they don't know yet exists, whether it's a fortune, a child, something of the sort. In this case, it's a child. It is the heir to the throne of, uh, of Calanthe, who is dead at this point because, you know, we keep going back and forth with the timeline. But as long as things are getting situated, we know where we're at. So here we got Mulsack uh, tells him uh, why did he assume the child was a he and not a her. And he said, yes, she is safe. So he didn't even know the child surprised the girl. He just thought it was a, a, a dude, I guess, because, you know, he's a guy. He made a simple assumption. It is what it is. So now he has to take care of this princess. Typical Knight's Tale, I guess, right? And here we got Queen Celanthia. I can't say her damn name right. Celanthia, who sent out eight assassins to kill Gerald because she's protecting Cyrilla from him because she doesn't want her daughter taken. I don't blame her. She doesn't want her daughter taken away from her granddaughter, whatever you want to call her, um, because, you know, she's being protective because she feels that in her hands, in her clutches, she is safer than out there with uh, the Witcher. And I don't blame her because the Witcher's always getting himself into some shenanigans. So here we got a, uh, a he brings her what appears to be the princess, but when the girl turns around, it is not. It is actually a freaking scapegoat. It is somebody else, a commoner's daughter, versus being the actual princess. So Gerald, not to be taken for a fool, does some investigation because the queen is like, you know, she needs some time to say her farewells to her friends and her people she knows before she goes away with you. And as he's snooping through the castle walls, he sees the group of friends that the actual princess chills with. And he sees the princess in disguise. And he sees this um, this uh, imposter uh, bowing to the actual princess, saying, I must go and bid my farewell. So he catches her, the queen, in a lie. And he's like, I'm not going to be fooled with your husband or ex-husband, your widow made this promise, you know, it's something your kingdom is known to keep, and for some reason you're being a complete bitch about it. Obviously, any mother is protective of her kid going away with somebody they don't know, especially somebody with such a troubled uh, record, I guess you can say. But I get it. It's the whole, he gets it too. But he tells him, your daughter is not safe in your clutches, and I'm giving you a warning. You should let her, you know, go with me, and then it's, you know, it's one of those things. So Gerald's head's warning him about the queen's arrogance and the lord that um she's currently dating uh pays him no mind and sees him off like hey get out of here you've done what you had to do you don't belong here anymore just kick rocks and he goes 
And he leaves the castle gates and he's like, whatever. Your call. I came here to you know, protect your kid from an omen and now you're, you know, you're disavowing it and you're turning back on a promise. So we'll see what happens in the future. So here we are with Jennifer and her ex um, catch up on how things are going and um, how she looks. They're talking about her internal changes, her, you know, her uh, reputation, all that stuff and how she's become more of a like, quote unquote, cold hearted bitch, but she owns up to it. And they're just having this moment where they're just falling out of, I don't want to say falling out of love, but it just, they seem they've outgrown each other. So this is when uh, she has a little argument and he sends out his way. He doesn't like care for her anymore, essentially, because she's changed so much. The old her is gone and these physical changes have made her into somebody she's not. So, you know, it's one of those like your ex sees you after you've done some changes and, you know, it's like the love is gone. So... A mage has been snooping on her, and Jennifer's like, what? What do you want, Nosy? And he's like, oh, sorry. It's there to inform her something. See, a mage tells Yen to leave Nilfgaard because she is not safe here without the right paperwork. See, there's this thing happening where Nilfgaard's trying to control the world, and mages are not exactly under lists of people they like at the current time. So it's like, if you want to survive, get out of here now. Just a heat of warning. So she's asked to go back to mage school, to her mage's school, right? And, you know, it's one of those things where it's not safe to travel as a mage without your license. Now that Nilfgaard's going on a tirade. Helping safe voyage back to Aratusa, the school that she was raised at during her teenage years. Even though she reluctantly agrees to, she does it anyway. Because just because she doesn't trust this guy doesn't mean she doesn't, she's not curious to know why he needs her to go back to her old school so badly. I don't know, calls for her for something or it's not gone missing. They just try to essentially get her to go back to school for something important. And as she's there, um, she relives her experiences in school. Flashbacks of, you know, her pre-good-looking phase before she had the crazy body and cute face where she was, you know... Had a messed up jaw and a hunchback. And she's reliving these bittersweet moments, memories, I guess, because it was like something she doesn't want to live. She's passed it. It's been so many years since she's been there. But she's there to, and she sees in her old chambers some girls who are just young girls who are there just practicing herbal magic. So she tries to tell these young girls who live there in their old chambers to uh, make the right choices and don't end up like her. And then, you know, it, they, it, it's kind of to the point where like they're like, well, what kind of choices do we make? It's like, well, how about you mix these herbs? And they're like, well, the teacher said not to mix these herbs. So literally, Jennifer is like reprogramming these girls to think more like her and be more free thinker than think of straight and narrow in the book, and essentially gets them high. Now, with that being said, any any cool older uh, alumni tries to get you high. Essentially, is a cool kid, and she doesn't play this to be cool, but you know, she's just this like, hey. Whatever you're taught isn't always the only way. Be aware of there's other choices to make in life and start now before it's too late and you're like brainwashed to think one certain way. So the headmistress shows up in the middle of her rant and her saying all this negative stuff that doesn't really go with the principles of the school. And she's there to interrupt Jennifer to stop poisoning her damn youths. And uh, <laughs> so she's there to talk to her actually. She got invited, not because she's there to like essentially replace her as a teacher for the time being. It was just a way to get her to go back to school. It's because they're there for a mage's meeting, a giant one, in fact. So Nilfgaard is a kingdom that's trying to seek over the world, and 
reimagine everything as far as how if you remember from the first episode when they killed the Queen Calanthe, it was a regime change. Like this is kind of like any time in history when one kingdom thinks that they're it's time for them to take over because they've gotten enough power. It, it's time to it's go time. Let's go, and that's what they do. It's essentially that. It's essentially similar to many uh, circumstances. It's just like we've weakened these uh, the strong kingdom with a strong queen who's now dead. It's time to strike while the iron's hot and take them down. And the mages are there to counteract that because Nilfgaard's um, success is everyone else's failures because whether it's prophecies or whatever you want to believe it's called, but it's definitely something that has to be taken care of before it leads to worse things happening. An imbalance in the universe, let's go with that. And Gerald is there, and he is in a dungeon. So while these mages are disputing their issues, and this is a quick uh, uh, synopsis of episode seven, because I don't want to get into the whole political drama of the mages and these other wizards who don't get along and they don't agree with Yennefer's new. It, just watch the episode. It's pretty interesting. Essentially, Yennefer's views are like so much different than the traditional views that they have going. She's just like, listen, if you keep going the way you're going to go, you're going to lose. If you think more like me, I can help you win and conquer this and get this over with. Nip it in the bud, per se, before it exceeds. And she's there, you know, being brash and being this outspoken person. And obviously the councilmen are not digging Jennifer. But they never liked her to begin with. And Jennifer doesn't give a flying fuck because you know what? She's her own mage. She went off and did her own thing. She went against, the quote-unquote, the rules and did things since her whole, like, physical uh, change she's her attitude changed but she was always a rebel she was never like the model student but she was definitely the headmaster's mistress sorry best student and you know end of the day you need someone like that in your army of mages if you're going to succeed now tissia is very like i don't want to say highbrow but very you know high class very by the book and as her you know headmistress and her teacher her whatever you want to call it mentor, guild master, you know, there's so many titles you can give this lady. She knows Jennifer's of good use. That's why she called her back to against her own, like, like rules, I guess, of belief. Jennifer is just an asset, and she'd rather have her on her, her side than the enemy get a hold of her. So she's smart enough to know that you got to have something like that protecting your own. If not, you're pretty much screwing yourself over because you don't want her to go to the dark side, knowing how strong her dark magic and her chaos is. And in, in this world, chaos is essentially your dark arts. And if it exceeds limits, I guess, of uh, growth or whatever, and it becomes uncontrollable and you become a monster. So she wants to be there to make sure that Jennifer can stay leveled so she can, you know, be of use and not be... Uh, corrupted by the magic and power like she was in the previous episode when her and Gerald were smashing her. After the aftermath of her trying to like be possessed by a genie, an evil genie, because she thought that would make her all powerful. So she definitely got some power-hungry uh, attributes and cannot be ignored. She's definitely a danger to herself and those around her. So now we move on to episode eight. See how fast that was? This is me just getting this shit over with. Episode eight, you saw Citria is on fucking fire. A la Game of Thrones, King's Landing. Just that's where it starts off. Everything just burns to the ground. Now it's like the whole reverse thing. Like, how do we get to this point, right? So here we got Gerald escaping the prison, 
Uh, very easily, I might say. The dungeon is not the most high-tech security. It's just a dingy old dungeon where the man's just like able to like get through with no problem. And here we got essentially uh, Gerald trying to like survive because he sees and hears a commotion upstairs. And he's just going there to find this princess. So he ends up in the queen's chambers looking for the princess. He sees a dress and scouts for the young girl, young Cirilla, around to make sure she's actually nearby. Who just happened to have ran away in episode two. So this is how the whole timeline is. Like, we're going right back to where we started in the second episode. So this shit is finally coming full circle after so many episodes. And here we got... Um, she ran away on horseback. I remember that episode where her knight that was protecting her got shot down with a, another knight's arrow from the, you know, on horseback. So the old man who uh, is in the woods as Gerald's leaving this area is... Uh, there's an old man there who's just collecting corpses. What does it say here? So here is my synopsis from uh, what I got. That um, having escaped from Sintra and searching for Syria, the girl who is the destiny, Gerald encounters a merchant burying bodies of the dead refugees. Because everyone's trying to be, you know, survive. Those who are surviving refugees escaped. Some of them died in the woods. And Gerald's like, it is not safe to be here, old man. Get out of here for your own safety and if you want to live. And the old man's like, listen, I want to leave, but these bodies deserve a proper burial. So he's there piling the bodies up in the woods, not knowing that somewhere in the woods what's killed them is lurking. And what is it? Ghouls. I'm just going to call them ghouls because I don't know what else I can call them. They're essentially ghouls. Necromancers, you know, goblin-type ghouls. And they're not quite skeletons. They're still like, they're just demonic imps as far as I can see. So, Gerald's escaping here to, in the woods, and then he has to come and turn around and help this old man, and he saves him. And then the old man, in return, obviously gives him the, uh, as, as a repayo for, his, for, his, for saving him, the um, promise of surprise as well, as this whole theme comes back full circle again. So, as the old man's here getting attacked, then Gerald gets attacked and uh, kills off these ghouls, but then he gets bit, and then he faints. So here we got another scenario as it's going on. Storm of Ghouls attacking Gerald, and um, most of them get killed off. And you know, actually, they all get killed off, but he still pays for it. He is dying and faints in the woods. So Cirilla is found fainted in the woods elsewhere, and she is rescued by a maiden of some sort of this little regular lady. And she looks around and sees there's like a dead skinned horse. Which is obviously odd seeing horse skin dead in the floor, but then you look around and see a bunch of like what looks like robbers or some sort of regular commoners blown to business or like blown away from some sort of explosion. And we all know what the explosion is. It's Princess Cirilla's like mutant powers of so like her banshee like scream as these guys are impaled by trees and bodies everywhere. And then the lady, she looks around and she's like, What happened here? She's like, Oh, these men were out to attack me. And that's when she looks around again and she says, well, I guess they deserved it, didn't they? <laughs> Obviously siding with this young lady who was outnumbered and outmanned and being attacked in the middle of the night by these perverted rapists, potential rapists, I guess you can call them. Because, you know, what else do bad guys do during the Middle Ages? Either rob you or rape you. This is where Citrus on fire. Gerald's keeping the prison. Okay, so here, where do we leave off? So, Cyrilla's found faint in the woods. She's rescued by horseback by a common woman. This woman sees the aftermath of Cyrilla fitting off against bandits. They got blasted away with her banshee-like scream. The mages, 60 of them to be exact, 
are heading to our Southern Hill towards Nilfgaard, are on the way to Yaruga Valley, Yaruga Valley to take on Nilfgaard by rowboat in stealth mode. Because if they caught a big ship, it would be too obvious, and they were good, you know, taken down by cannons of, like, battleships or whatever. Because it's obviously a kingdom, so they're going to have all this giant weaponry. So easiest way to get away is to blend in with the shadows and the fog and just kind of, like, you know, sneak in. Especially since Nilfgaard blocked all the roads, so there's no way to get in and out everyone's trapped wherever they're at so they have to get in by some way and it's by water and being all the roads closed and keeping people in and out of the walls that they have set up they have to like magically get in there so they think Cirilla might be over there by the Uruga border and this is when Nilfgaard finds that out as well and they are striking hot like they just got to go so you got the Nilfgaardian mages these evil dark mages who are sacrificing their own essence Literally summoning these fireballs, becoming fireballs, so they can be launched on catapults for uh, hits to take down this defense that the uh, mages of um, other kingdoms that are all united are here to defend the people. So Gerald here is delirious, fitting off poison off ghouls. He faints and has this delirious dream of his mom. But as he's having this moment of being high all the time on this poison... You got Yennefer's at a crow's nest. Like, like I know it's not a crow's nest. We're not in a ship. I don't know what to call it. It's just a big point where someone in a castle can see everything. Kind of like, you know, uh, you can scope out the area. And you can see the Nilfgaardian forces approaching. And they are doing a lot of weird witchery, dark arts, you know, this, this uh, uh, I don't want to say abandoned magic. What's the word I'm looking for? Band? There we go. Band magic. This you know, sacrificial magic. It's crazy. These guys are literally putting their lives on the line just to help this army of knights, this 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 kingdom succeed in whatever they're trying to do. So this is where Tissia gets hurt in battle, shielding everybody from the explosions. You got Gerald who needs to head to the Blue Mountains to get an antidote for this poison on the other side of Sodden. And mind you, this guy, that merchant, he feels like he owes him something because obviously the man saved his life. So he's literally on wagon and horse, like a regular carriage, taking Gerald everywhere just to find this antidote that he only can get at one certain spot. And we got uh, Gerald's mom in a vision. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. Like this is a lot of delirious moments where Gerald's just straight up like uh, he sees a vision here of Vicenna, Vicenna, his mom who abandoned him as a child in order to, you know, trade him in to make him a witcher. But he later arrives, finally cured and healed at the farm upon hearing a woman talk. So before all this happens, let me get to the nitty gritty part. Cyrilla leaves his nice cottage, right? After Yennefer is essentially protecting her teacher because the headmistress uses up all her magic power and can't fight anymore. So Yennefer has to be the frontline woman to fight this battle using all her magic. And she's literally the reason why the the beginning episode is on fire because she just sets everything ablaze because all of her colleagues are dying from this big old battle. They're just like, they're done for it. They have nowhere to go, nowhere to... It's almost like, because there was a uh, turncoat within the, the ranks of the mages who from inside blew them up with their explosive magic like... Uh, magic potions and it just caused a giant explosion within the castle walls they're protecting and it just turned the tables because in the beginning Yennefer's troops are doing amazing taking out all of the Nilfgaardian forces but these dark mages know some shit they know some trickery and 
it's crazy to think that she was originally supposed to be in Nilfgaard, but snuck away into Nilf, uh, away from Nilfgaard and giving it to Fringilla, who was promised in the beginning. Because that whole scene in the kingdom where the king is dancing and Fringilla kind of lands with him. So he was sent, sent her off to Nilfgaard instead. So imagine if the tables would turn and Jer- Jen- yeah, Yennefer's powerful ass was on the bad guy's side. That'd be shit. It would be nuts. Like, this is what... I'm glad it was avoided because Frangilla is even more powerful than I ever imagined for somebody who had the same exact level of training, but she is just on some next level shit. We got Tissia who attempts to take down Frangilla, a former student of hers, one of her star pupils, and Frangilla disables her. You got Vigglesort. This is the name of the guy that uh, recruited Jennifer. He fights Kahir, but loses and is thrown down the hill and hits his head so damn hard on his tree. One would assume he's dead. But from what I've seen and experienced in actual, like, falling down the hill, he didn't die. His neck didn't snap. He just got hit, rocked really hard in the head. So he's just unconscious for the time being until he gets up. That's what, from my perspective, I saw. And guess what? That actually happened. Wow. What a, what a turn of events. Because she's over here telepathically trying to see who was left in her side to fight Frangilla. Nobody was alive, except for this dude. Viggle Zort, last minute, was able to help them out. So we got little guardian soldiers, you know, begin to overrun the fort. Jennifer's channeling her magic stream of fire and then seemingly disappears, like out of nowhere, like a phoenix. So in this delirious state that Gerald's in, he dreams about his mother. He goes and ends up in a cottage and plots to us. This is the same cottage that Cirilla was rescued and taken care of. So straight up, the same characters are meeting up finally after so many episodes, so much buildup of them trying to find each other because it's his destiny. And the queen, last minute before she died, she told her, go find the witcher. He is your destiny. So Cirilla leaves a nice cottage where she was rescued and runs into the woods to find none other than Gerald, who went after her once he heard uh, the merchant's wife, because the merchant is married to this lady, and he's obviously healing, but the merchant still owes him a beer. He's like, hey, come get your ale, witcher, butcher. He calls him butcher because, you know, who would you else would you call a witcher? You don't know his name. And the witcher meets Cyrilla in the forest, finally. And Gerald heads over, and um, they, they both run to each other, and that's how the series ends. That's how the series ends. That's how the episode ends. For the ending of season one of the witcher and sorry if i'm skipping a lot through this it was just a great summary of both episodes i just want to get it done with and give my point of view this was a great episode the climax in the middle the resolution at the end the action was amazing the battle was crazy i really enjoyed this episode of the witcher it was something definitely worth seeing worth reviewing and i enjoyed reviewing the whole season Yes, I might seem a little frustrated at times trying to run through this, but it's just my way of being. I don't like long-term reviewing. I'd rather review movies and TV shows, but TV shows are what's going on right now because the movie industry is currently in the halt thanks to COVID-19. So you can date this episode specific to a certain time period, and anytime anybody vlogs or YouTubes or you know podcasts about things like this, it definitely is a uh, point in history that's drawn it down. And TV shows are great. I love them. 
And I love specifically streaming TV shows because they are short form, straight to the straight to the point without any damn filler. So I loved this show. It is a five star series. I'm giving these last two episodes five stars because it was a great ending to a great show. And it was something that I can sink my teeth into and really enjoy and appreciate because it wasn't trying to be something different. It was trying to keep its theme together, its story together, and finally unite them. Except in the end, though, when Cirilla asks for who's Yennefer, it leaves a cliffhanger because now we're somehow incorporating Yennefer into Cirilla's life and how she heard that name. We're going to find out in season two. So thank you all for listening. This has been my season finale review of The Witcher. And I will be continuing more shows like The Witcher because I definitely love the fantasy genre. I'm still debating what's the next one I'm going to review. I mean, I guess I'll go back to the other shows I'm doing. And, you know, from there I'll figure out what else to add. But these fantasy shows are definitely in my realm. I definitely enjoy swords and magic and all this stuff, fantasy stuff from like the Middle Ages, medieval era. And this is the first time reviewing a show that's a specific known property around mediums meaning video games and now tv shows but originally books such a big property like the witcher so i hope i did a good enough review of the show as overwhelming as it felt at times <laughs> and if you want to continue once the fall hits i'll start reviewing season two so thank you all for tuning in until next time take care